And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for this morning, and this is someone who has really helped me close that space between head and heart. It's someone who's very committed to our teaching and our center. Please welcome Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Great to, great to be here. Great to be alive. I mean, what's the other alternative? It's... Oh. So I'm going to invite you to uh, sing a song with me. And if you'd like to stand and do that, feel free. If not, please stay seated. And we'll say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room in this very room in this very room and so I invite you to know with me in this moment as I feel the breath move in and out of my nostrils beautiful reminder of the constant ever-present support of life, the breath of life. And so I know just as I'm reminded in my breathing, it is also true of my thinking and my awareness, standing with you in, in conscious awareness, discerning and deciding and choosing each moment, the direction, the, the texture and the tendency and the vibration of the thought and standing together and guiding and nurturing one another in that activity is the opportunity. And so I'm just so grateful to know that all of us are resourced, calling forth in this moment, in this environment, the highest and best ideas where we are perhaps struggling or suffering. The awareness and the insight that allow us to transform that and move forward so that we no longer transmit that to one another that and so much more available this rich beautiful mysterious teaching I'm so grateful to be part of for all my teachers all my mentors everyone that has shown up in the right and perfect way for me as they have for you I give thanks knowing the right and perfect ideas opportunities resources insight creativity and the freedom to move forward is available here and now and I give thanks for that I bless it and I use it well for this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brown. 
Thank you so much. We had a uh, wonderful event here at our earlier service. We did a christening with a, a little fella that as uh, part of our community, and it's always fun to uh, welcome. I think we should do a christening Sunday once a quarter or couple times a year. Doing it is just such a wonderful activity. So uh, someone asked if um, we're going to do another one at this service, and um, I don't know who we should randomly pick to christen, so (laughs) I don't think I'll be able to cradle you and dump the water on you. (laughs) Okay. Well... Uh, you know, February is always the month of Valentine's. And if you took a look at our electronic newsletter, I wrote uh, a bit about it this, um, this month because my experience around love, and today's um, sharing is entitled All You Need Is Love. You know the Beatles song? All you need is love. Da, 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 da. All you need is love. Ba, ba, da, da, da. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. Take it away. Because I don't know the rest of the words. And that's a very popular idea. And uh, I don't know if I agree with it, but I thought it was a good place to start. Because my experience around love is everybody has a different definition of love. Everybody does it differently. And, and that's what makes the world go around. It's a beautiful thing. But if you look at what, let's, let's talk about Jesus for a second. But if you look at the, the scripture, Jesus was an example. I mean, what he did is he revolutionized. He was a revolutionary and then he brought this idea of love to the world in a different way. It was just an evolution of consciousness. He came out of, he was a, he was a young rabbi came out of that tradition and started to expand his horizons in terms of possibility and his, his experience with the infinite, his intimate, intimate relationship with spirit. But he talked about unconditional love and that became his message. But he used to say to people, he didn't say your love has made you whole. He said your faith has made you whole. Your faith, it is done unto you as you believe. It is not done unto us as we love. And I think it's important to look at the clues of the language he used because he was as we would interpret the great example, not the great exception. So all you need is love. Joseph Campbell used to say that it's the rapture of being alive that we're after. The rapture of being alive, I like that. And that's very similar to what Dr. Holmes would say, our founder. The rapture of being alive. So the Buddha, the Buddha now the Buddha's message was one of compassion. And, the, and so his focus was on this idea of of empathizing with one another. Compassion means to suffer with. And this idea of love, I wanted to talk a bit about today because many, many times in class and in my journey with our movement and our teaching, when we get to the Buddha and one of the first things, the uh, Eight Noble Truths, I think the first one, but I could be wrong, it might be, but one of Buddha's tenets is that life is suffering. Now when we've had that discussion, Many people in our movement say, I don't accept that. I don't accept that life is suffering. <sighs> As they pass out and turn blue in the face. But what I think is, is um, misunderstood is what suffering means. And I have been dipping into um, a wonderful teacher right now by the name of Richard Rohr. He's got two books that I absolutely love. One is called The Naked Now, 
learning to see as the mystic see, and the other one is falling, back, uh, falling upwards, which is about the two halves of life. So I'm going to use a little bit of his inspiration today to share, and this comes from Richard, and I think it's very valuable. So I'm going to tell you a Buddhist story, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about suffering, and then I'm going to talk about love. The Buddha used to tell a teaching story, as did Jesus, because people remember stories. So there was a widowed, a widower, uh, a father, and he had a five-year-old son. And into that town, while the father was away working, came uh, a band of bandits. And they, they killed a lot of people, and they burnt the town down, and the father came back, and he, he found this, this, this uh, burnt child, and he... He, it was, he thought it was his son. And so they, he completed the cremation and he took the ashes and he carried him in a bag and he was just crushed with the sorrow of having lost his son. Well, it turns out the bandits had not killed his son. The bandits had taken his son and his son escaped. But the father was inside the house grieving and grieving and wailing and gnashing his teeth and crying and crying and crying. And one night the son escaped from the bandits and came back and knocked on the door. And the father was so married to his suffering that when his son knocked on the door and said, Papa, it's me. I'm coming home. I'm home. His father didn't believe him. So his father never opened the door. And the son left. The father thought it was one of the the boys in the neighborhood that was playing a trick on him. And so the the boy left, and they never met. They never saw one another again. And so the Buddha tells this story, and he said that, and the teaching behind the story is that sometimes, somewhere, you take some things to be the truth. Sometimes, somewhere, you take some things to be the truth. And if you cling to it so much, even when the truth comes in person and knocks on your door, you will not open it. Now, the Buddha says that suffering is created by clinging. What Richard Rohr says about suffering, and I think it's important, that for me it's important, so I want to share it with you. What suffering is, is simply having the experience of something that we feel we cannot control. That's what suffering is. Things happen. We didn't expect. People did things. People said things. The weather did this. The weather didn't do this. People said they were going to come. They didn't show up. Whatever it may be. And this is life. And what I know about my journey along this path is that there are patterns in my life. I'll share it with you from my perspective because maybe you've dealt with all this stuff. But I, I can only tell you where I am on my journey with it. But there are patterns that I have in my life. And when I look at them, I realize that they're the things that happen that I wasn't that I don't feel I have control over. And what this practice has done, what, what my spirit my prayer work has done, and it's not an intellectual process. You can only take the intellect can only take us so far. What Richard Rohr says, and I'll, I want to use my notes here because it's such a beautiful way of looking at it. And Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest. Amazing man. He lives in New Mexico. He's worked in prisons most of his life. And he's a renowned author and speaker. He said that great love and great suffering are the tools from a fear-based life to a love-based life. 
from a fear-based life to a love-based life. If I'm to look at the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, this young rabbi, what his message was to move from a fear-based life to a love-based life. Dr. Holmes, our founder, said the greatest event that has ever happened in the history of humanity was the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. But he said that we must take that great example and use it in our own lives. And I, I think Dr. Holmes would love reading Richard Rohr because he brings the mysticism, learning to see as the mystics see. This is our, this is our, this is our agenda. This is what we teach, learning to see as the mystics see. How do I put down my point of view so that I may move into a richer experience of value? And so when I look at our teaching, how do we take it? How do we take this teaching to the depths of what's possible, so that we live from great love, not great fear? Because if you look out in the world, fear is very popular. If you've noticed. And when we, when we deny suffering, and when we all of a sudden realize, well, I suffer because I'm disappointed. Things didn't go the way I planned. What we do control is our response to it. We control our response to it. And then we get to choose accordingly. But what happens when we have patterns in our lives, and this is really true for me, when we have patterns in our lives that spin us into the fear, we cannot move into the great love. We cannot transform it. And so what happens when we don't transform the suffering, we transmit it to one another. We project on one another. We point fingers, we blame, we shame, we criticize. We try and tear one another down. Because it's much easier to do that because that brings us to life. And I get it. My, my greatest teacher in my life, as I look back over the, my early conditioning and the way I've lived my life and what brought me to this teaching, was abuse. And, and I say this from... Um, with great candor, with great humility, and great appreciation. Because the, the people that helped create that for me were functioning at, at the best level they knew how. So what I'm telling you is that they did the best they could. And So how that played out in my life was that, that what love looked like to me was work as hard as you can, work as hard as you can, work as hard as you can, so, and hope somebody gives you a pat on the back occasionally. And so, but the dynamic was, we're not going to pat you on the back, because we pat you on the back, we're worried that it might, you might get a big head. So then what I did is, so I wanted to find an environment, because that's what I knew as love. So what I did is I decided I would go to Hollywood and be an actor, because that's just so darn easy, and there's no rejection in that. <laughs> but I, I'm just giving you some clues into how life works. So I went off, and I put everything into that, and, I, and, and even to get there and start to, to go to auditions is like, <sighs> takes years. It, it, I mean, it's a long journey. But I was so hungry for that, for the approval of strangers. And so I, whenever I see American Idol, Laura and I watch it, and we, just, we love it every year because it's just fun. To, and everybody thinks they can sing. <laughs> it's just amazing. Have you ever had that experience, Sue? Where's Brown? Everybody can sing, and they're all soloists. Anyway... But, but the, the one thing that always touches me so deeply, and I think why I feel so connected, is that people come out of the room and there's their families all hugging them, whether they made it or not, they're all there. It's like, oh, man, I would love to have had that. My family never would have hugged me. Yeah. But, but the whole idea of that, that support and that connection, but there wasn't any of that. And so, but if I look at the pattern of abuse and, and where that continues to play itself out in my life, what I get to do is I get to transform that. 
or I continue to perpetuate the story. And then if I perpetuate the story, I just pass it down to my kids. So they get to deal with it. I don't want to deal with this. This is too painful. You do it. And it doesn't have to be your kids. It can be friends. It can be who's ever in your environment. So our opportunity is not to say life doesn't contain suffering. If we understand suffering, just simply to be disappointment. That things happen in our lives that are disappointing. And what do I do with it now? Well, how do I look at abuse in my life? And how do I help change that? How do I have support an environment? Because that's alive in me. I want to use that for transformation. But this is how spirit works. This is, we're, we're hardwired for this. And we don't have to live in the suffering. The tradition I was raised in said, you know, it's good to suffer. And offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. And I thought, hmm, all right. When are these guys going to get out of purgatory anyway? Because I want to be done with this. You know, how long do I do this? But but that was that was the tools that were available. What Richard Rohr says is that only love and suffering are strong enough to break down our usual ego defenses, crush our dual thinking, our thinking of duality that there's something other than God, and open us to mystery. Part of it's the mystery. Part of it's just I don't know. I don't know. I was walking the labyrinth the other night. I had the, the class, I had a meditation and prayer treatment class on Monday night. We came up and the labyrinth was open. There's Bonnie Carter. Bonnie's our, one of the consciousness that carries the labyrinth forward. Yeah. Yes. Woo! And, and we probably shouldn't cheer for somebody that facilitates the labyrinth uh, process, but we can walk silently in the circle in her honor maybe. But uh, I was walking the labyrinth and I was just spinning and you know you get in there in your mind it's amazing how much stuff's going through your head and I finally just said God what do you want from me? You know I didn't say it out loud and I was walking along and, and as clear as a bell I heard nothing nothing I was waiting for some request you know something big nothing and I thought about nothing all week the idea of what that meant, I mean. <laughs> I wish I could think of nothing all week. But, but it, for me, it was an example of, we did the clean slate last week. It's a clean slate. Whatever, make it up. Pick something. God isn't, God's just God. This, this infinite intelligence, this principle that we talk about, is not a personality. It's a, it's a principle. And whatever we decide to impress upon it, it's just, you got it. I love you. I'm for you. I'm on your team. And so if I'm spinning in my story of abuse, then the infinite will say, well, here's a little more abuse for you. But I don't want to do that anymore. Well, then think of something else. But what if I'm attached to it? And so as, as, as Father Richard Rohr says, it's pulling it close and, and surrendering it and saying, I'm not doing this anymore. We have to choose accordingly as we have the insight. That's been my experience. And I'm further along with making peace with that idea than I ever have been. But I don't know if I'll ever be done with it. I don't know if I'm ever going to stop bringing things into my experience. But it's my experience. As long as I leave that door open, it's going to keep coming in. And so maybe it isn't about slamming the door shut and saying, well, that door's always going to be open. And, and what I know is that I have the awareness and the infinite intelligence, the agreement I have with this higher intelligence within me is it guide me and direct me each and every time I forget. So maybe it's not slamming the door shut. It's just saying, here it comes again. But I don't have to respond to it. I don't have to defend it. I don't have to deflect it. I can just acknowledge it. That's the work of Eckhart Tolle, really, being present. 
It's the work Connie's talking about, this pray, play, and stay. See, when, you, when we have that, I'm thinking about Karen's, where's Karen? Karen Porca. She's doing this sound healing with uh, Anna. And we all need, we all need uh, benevolent guides to help facilitate and open. We need one another. We need one another to be in the conversation so that shifts and changes and we can have this conversation in a way that's meaningful and impactful. See, we can open up, we can do it either way. We can open up, as Richard Rohr says, you can open up the mind space or you can open up the heart space. You can do it from either direction. The great thing about love, when we love something, what it asks us to do Let me tell you about the suffering involved with love. When we find something we love, we love it full on with our whole hearts, with our whole being. I mean, have you had that experience? You just love it. You know, you met whoever, you find a thing, it asks you to just, there's no holding back. That's love. And the challenge with it, the suffering is that that, 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 experience changes and if it's something within this like with my relationship with with, uh, my wife Laura I've said to her early on I said it's scary because it's so full on and it's not going to last forever that's the downside of it that's the suffering of it and so all of it contains both qualities and what I get to do with that is realize, well, I have this day to celebrate. So how can I celebrate this day? How can I make this life, my life, and our life together the most wonderful possible experience it can be? And so how that, what that sounds like to me is many times, well, I, I say thank you many times throughout the day to Laura for all she does because she's in service. She's in service to these ideas and she helps create a space for me so I can do some, this examination in a way that, that, so I can bring something of value. And then I also get to say to her, how can, I, how can I help you? How can I make your day better? I mean, that's, that's love in the moment. But if I sit around and say, oh, I'm going to withhold my love because it's going to end one day and I'll be heartbroken. You know, I don't want to get into this relationship because it could be really wonderful, but then it's going to end. Wait till she finds out what I'm really like and she leaves me. See, what love does and what suffering, they both lead to the same destination. They require us to give up control. Jesus didn't say your great love has healed you. Your great control has healed you. He said your faith has made you whole. And the, reason, and the way we develop and, and get clear about that ability to have greater faith, see, it's intimacy, I think one of the, the challenges that we suffer with in the world is a lack of understanding what healthy intimacy looks like. It's the opening of the heart. You know, when I stand here before you, every Sunday it's such an honor because my heart is open in your presence. I mean, I love that Carolyn Reynolds said that and I just started to sob when I heard her say it the first time. My heart is open in your presence. You know, that the, the challenges we have in the world is that, you know, there's a, I know there's a proliferation of pornography on the internet. That's a reality of the world we live in. And what that is, is, is people thinking that sexuality is, 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 there's such a deeper level of that connection. But when, when, you, when you participate at that level, there's no intimacy. The heart doesn't open. 
It just becomes an aberration of what, uh, it becomes a piece of what is not fully realized. And so what you realize is people don't want to be intimate. They just want to have the, the they want to have the, the euphoria of whatever it may be that's kind of like a drug, becomes their drug. But what it requires is an opening of the heart. So when you see it, it's just, it's original ignorance is what it is. And it's in any, in any addiction. It's, we want to escape. But see, if we learn early on what intimacy looks like, and we're able to stand in it for one another. You know, I've read stories of Jesus that they would know he was coming with his group miles before he showed up because you could start to feel it. What's that all about? Well, he had the open heart. I remember the pictures my mom had growing up as a kid, and it was always a picture of Jesus with his hands open like that, and then his heart beating. And it was a representation of that tradition saying he stood for that open heart, that sacred heart. But that's scary for most people. And so what happens is it's much easier many times for me, or in my life, it's been easier for me to just look for other ways to be abused. Because I didn't know any better until I brought awareness to it and said, you know what, this isn't working. And if I want to see, see what I look at our community, I look at our movement and, and what's happening on the planet. Now, are we the greatest movement on the planet? No. We're a movement on the planet. And the richness and the health of this movement is the contingent upon the, the consciousness that we, we operate from. What I know about it is I can't change anybody else. And things show up in my life that I don't expect and they're not in my control and I suffer with that. But I don't let it distract me. And then what we can do is ask ourselves, what must I become? What must I make peace with? What must I become? Suffering is whenever you are not in control, as Richard Rohr said. When you are inside of great love and great suffering, you have a much stronger possibility of surrendering your ego controls and opening up to the whole field of life. To to sustain the wondrous open... And I love this part. I think this is wonderfully wise. To sustain this wonderful open heart long-term and to remain permanently in love, something else is needed. Some level of mysticism whether nature-based, consciousness-based, or God-based. And great suffering opens you in a different way. Here things happen against your will, which is what makes it suffering. So you see why we must have the proper attitude towards suffering because many things every day leave us out of control. Even if just for a stoplight. Remember always, however, that if you do not transform your pain, you will surely transmit it to those around you and even to the next generations. And that's the faith. That's the faith. So what do, you, what do we do with that? What do I do with that? Well, it's to look at the repeated patterns in my life and then to realize, you know what? Those things are driving some of the experiences I'm having and then go to work to change it. When you work with a practitioner, we, we have practitioners every week. These people have devoted their life to this practice, to this the scientific prayer. It's one of our modalities. It is the only modality? No. But it's one of our modalities. It's a pathway to a different relationship. And what you do is you borrow their knowing. You borrow their knowing. And the reason it's so effective is because we're all connected. We are a mosaic of energy. 
and what it is on this Valentine's month in 2012. You know, the, what I wrote about this, this month in the, um, the newsletter was this idea of Valentine's about candy and flowers and cards and, and pink and, and, and whatever. And that was all part of it. That's part of that romantic love and how the Hallmark cards would like us to believe. I don't know how many millions of dollars or billions of dollars they make, but it's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty good idea and people buy into it. And I'm not saying don't buy into it. But there's a deeper, deeper idea possible. And when we talked about practitioners, what it is with practitioners is the soul connection. We brought this little boy up here this morning, Ryland, and we, and, we, and we baptized him. We christened him. We welcomed him. And we talked about the words. And it was really about a soul connection. Um, John Wellwood, who wrote a wonderful book, one of my favorites called Love and Awakening. I read it about 12 years ago. It changed my life and, and continues to inform my life. But I took a quote from one of his books He says, a soul connection is a resonance between two people who respond to the essential beauty of each other in individual natures, behind their facades, and who connect on this deeper level. This kind of mutual recognition provides the catalyst for a potent alchemy. It is a sacred alliance whose purpose is to help both partners discover and realize their deepest potentials. While a heart connection lets us appreciate those we love just as they are, and that's a wonderful thing, a soul connection opens up a further dimension, seeing and loving them for who they could be and for who we could become under their influence. So there's a reciprocity. That's the conversation. This means recognizing that we both have an important part to play in helping each other become more fully who we are. A soul connection not only inspires us to expand, but also forces us, forces us to confront whatever stands in the way of that expansion. So he's talking about the same thing. So when we do our affir- affirmation work, when we're doing our prayer work, and all of a sudden things come up, those are the repetitive patterns. Those are the things that are there for us to work with. That's the suffering. But without that, there, we wouldn't make any traction. We've all, been, we've all had early conditioning that we get a chance to, to look at, pull up, and master. Once again, the Buddha and the Buddha story, sometimes, somewhere, you take something to be the truth, and if you cling to it so much, even when the truth comes in person and knocks on your door, you will not open it. And that's why it's important to understand how we work, how we're wired. And we've all had experiences, but when we, be, when we become convinced that that's the truth, then there's no opportunity for a new insight, for a new awareness. There are things we never want to let go of. People we never want to leave behind. But keep in mind that letting go isn't the end of the world. It's the beginning of a new life. Chell Silverstein says this. I thought about this when we had Rylan up here. He's a wonderful writer and he's written a lot of great stuff for kids. He's a, very, he's a big advocate for, ch- for children. He said, listen to the mustn'ts, child. Listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves, then then listen close to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. That's all we teach. But anything can't be as long as we we can't let go and we can't put it down. So whatever the pattern is in your life, Whatever there is that you're being called to at the depths of your being, this, this work 
as Dr. Holmes said years ago, is, is vast. It, it, it spreads to infinity in both directions across the horizon and up and down. There's always more to know, always more to reveal. But we don't have to do it all at once. We just get to do this piece today. So when you have an opportunity with a practitioner, you have an opportunity to do the retreat with Reverend Connie or you have the opportunity to do the sound work or whatever you're drawn to. And there's, there's a the collective wisdom within this community is amazing. But we all need, we need those relationships to help us move into the new insights, to the depths. That's a wonderful opportunity. So it is a month of, of love. But I don't know if love is all we need. Might be a little faith and fun and joy and celebration. My, uh, we had Rylan up here today, and I, my, my brother called me. He's got a two, my nephew is two and a half years old. His name is Carter. And Carter, uh, to get him in the car, my brother John said, I, I typically trick him. I give him a little treat to get him in the car because he's quite busy. And so he took a little piece of licorice and he wrapped it up in something and he hid it in the car. And Carter knows this is the pattern. So Carter gets in the car and he looks around and he, he finds a treat. And my brother puts him in the car seat and straps him in. And Carter was holding the piece of licorice and he looked at my brother and he said, he said, Dad, where do you suppose we have more of this inside the house? <laughs> Always looking for the joy. But it is, it is that innocence, it is that, that, that blush of innocence that, uh, that they bring to our lives and remind us of how we started out. You know, not with original sin, but original ignorance. Johnny Ezekiel was here with uh, Georgia, his granddaughter Georgia, and last week um, Georgia said to Johnny, who's that guy that always stands there at the door? And he said, well, that's Patrick. He said, I want to say goodbye to that guy because everybody says goodbye to that guy. So Georgia and I get to say goodbye now. And it's, it's sweet. She doesn't know why we're doing it. Just everybody does it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, our, our te- this, this tradition, and it's, it's in the world. It's out in the world. We're the, people, we're the people changing the world. Not because we have to, but because we can. And not because all the great traditions and the people who want to honor it and keep it as it is are wrong. Because they're not wrong. They've just, they're just got a different story. They've got a different agenda with their soul. So we don't have to make them wrong. What we get to do is direct our energy into what, what helps bring us to life, what clears away those things that limit our experience of spirit. If we're doing that, we're doing our work. Dr. Bark, Dr. Barnum was my teacher's teacher, and he taught many of the great teachers that, that have, most of them have made the transition now. But he said one wonderful thing. He said, we have eternity we have eternity to do this work, but not one second to waste. I love that. So there's no pressure. We either do it or we don't. And if we don't, we, we live by default. We go back into what we know is in, in this familiar. But it's our opportunity not to waste the opportunities. Anything that we want to be, we can be. But this is the work we're about. It's, it's simple, simple, simple. It just ain't easy. Blessing, so it is. Thank you.